Welcome to the Daily Illini Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Brennan Jones, joined as always with Josh Peach and Gabby Hajduk um, on this cold Tuesday morning. <laughs> um, we are joined with a very special guest, Illini alumni and uh, CBS Morning News anchor, Ryan Baker. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, of course. Thanks for coming on. I know it's one of the more newsworthy times uh, in our life. So I, we really appreciate you taking this time out um, and talking to us for a little bit. Uh, Absolutely. Well, this is a good time because uh, I'm an early riser these days. So the, the earlier the better for me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. So we'll just jump right into it. Sure. On, on Friday, we saw Illini, uh, the Illini football team go up to Wisconsin and kind of lay a dud against that that good Wisconsin Badgers team. Um, right. We've talked about it a lot. We all cover, cover the team. Um, just like first, we thought, I guess our biggest reaction was we thought this team was going to be a little bit better than that. Um, right. All the offensive talent we thought we had. Um, what did you see in that game? Just like first reactions, initial reactions. Um, you know, so I, I can give you my opinion, you know, as an alum, as a fan, and then, you know, the, the critical analysis and, and whatever lens or you want to look at it through whatever hat you were wearing, I, none of it was good. <laughs> it, it was, it was a disappointing night. I mean, you know, you, we've all waited, um, a long time to see Big Ten football, see Illinois football, um, and and the twists and turns this thing has taken because of COVID, because of the pandemic that, you know, the season was postponed. We thought it was spring. Other Power Five conferences were playing. You don't know if the Big Ten caved into that pressure. I know that they have uh, really top-notch testing, regardless of whatever the the reasoning was. Then all of a sudden, football's back, so everyone gets excited. You still have this, you know, month or six weeks to prepare. And, you know, Illinois draws the Friday night opener for the conference on national TV. Uh, you know, here it is, you know, a Friday night. You've got the primetime audience for everybody to see. And, and to look as unprepared as the team did, was highly disappointing. I mean, this is a team, you know, coming off some momentum last year. Well, in the grand scheme of things, some momentum, but the reality is this is also a team that going back to last season, I think it's lost three games in a row. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you go back to the Iowa game, which was a tough game, the Northwestern game at home, which was an absolute embarrassment on, you know, the, your, your rivalry game when you have a chance to really improve your bowl status to, to lose that way. And, and then the bowl game, so I guess that's four games in a row going back to last year. Uh, you know, and then the, the bowl game against Cal, and now this game, look, if you're not going to win every game. If you lose, I mean, Wisconsin's the 14th-ranked team in the country. They're there for a reason. So there's no shame in losing to Wisconsin on the road uh, in the opener. But to lose in that fashion and to not put up much of a fight, well, then I don't know who would find that experience. Acceptable. <laughs> That's not close, particularly when you set the bar from the coaching staff, from Lovey on down, saying this is year five, this is our year, this is what we've been building for, these are the players we've developed. Who we played a lot as freshmen and sophomore, sophomores, and experience, and we we've learned how to win games and to go to that degree with a you know a brand new quarterback who looked like you know uh, you know. He was a Heisman Trophy candidate <laughs> out there on Friday night. So yeah, that 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 was and and, and defensively, to uh, you know, uh, some of those touchdowns. I mean, the coverage just wasn't there. So you, know, I, I don't know the reasons why. I mean, that's that's for the coaching staff to answer. But the end result was not acceptable. Yeah, I think the thing Josh and I are on a lot of these like press conference zooms that are now obviously the everyday of how we get our availability with them. Mm-hmm. The thing we've kept hearing is, you know, this is our best team yet from Lovey and the players, which is that's right. Which is all right. usual for Lovey because he really doesn't give his opinion a lot and he's kind of just like No. <laughs> no he plays it close to the vest. Sure. Yeah. So for him to come out like week after week, every week we hear the same thing, you know, this is our best team, da 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 da. And then to see that kind of production and it was R- right. like the defensive line was your best part of the game until they obviously got tired and then the run game picked up. And that's like your least deep position group and your least talented position group. So to have all this talent, just to kind of have it literally go scoreless was super disappointing for us. And then on the other side of the ball, you have all these receivers that you're bringing in like, 
high tower. You have Luke Ford coming in. Luke Ford got one reception and he didn't even catch the ball. So, and I think that we saw right. that his father was a little disappointed. He, yeah. he was expressing his opinions on social media. So I think just all around, like you said, Gabby, if your defensive line was a bright spot, and that's supposed to be the least best part of your team, you know that there are problems that have to be addressed. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I kind of had a question here. I, I forget that, you know, you covered Chicago sports in the early 2000s, so obviously we're around Lovey mm-hmm. when he was the coach of the Chicago Bears. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. What are the similarities? I, 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 I was there the day uh, his first press conference at Hallis Hall when he came sure. in. What are the similarities you see, obviously, from now 15 years ago up until now mm-hmm. uh, when he's coaching Illinois? Um. Well, I, I don't think Lovey's philosophy has changed in terms of, you know, how he approaches from defense first. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, you know, coaching at the collegiate level is different from the NFL. So I think there's been some evolution with Coach Smith in that regard. But for the most part, I mean, I think he's the same coach, the same guy. You, you said it just a few minutes ago. Uh, he, he's never going to give you a whole lot. He's going to keep everything close to the vest. He has his standard answers. Uh, you know, if you ask him a question, he'd say, well, you know, uh, what would you normally do in that situation? Here's a question. We'll do that. And we're just going to, you know, he's just going to keep it right down the middle. He, he definitely protects his players. Uh, he, um, you know, uh, I, I don't think he's a huge fan of the media. I think he's gotten a lot better in dealing with it. Uh, it's a little bit different maybe uh, in today's media world, <clears throat> you know, certainly maybe in, in Champaign than being here in Chicago and dealing with the constant scrutiny. But yet and still, you know, because of uh, – you know, the online explosion of sports, um, you know, and, and, and as you, you being on campus, you know, I mean, it's the Atlanta athletics is everything. So there's constant scrutiny, constant questions that he has to deal with. But I, I, I for the most part, I, I think he's the same coach. And, and um, you know, he had success with the Bears, uh, you know, didn't end the way he wanted it to when he had, you know, a, a winning season. He won 10 games and was dismissed and was fired, ended up going to Tampa, didn't end the way one or two there when he, you know, was prematurely let go. And so this is another situation uh, now that I think he looked as an opportunity to build something, to turn some things around. And we, we finally saw it turn the corner last year. Not, I mean, this season by no means is, is, is not over, but that's not the start you want. <laughs> so, so it's going to take some, um, some turning around uh, from top to bottom. And, I, and he knows that. And, and, and I'll give Coach Smith credit. I mean, he said, listen, I thought we'd be more prepared than this when he said that after the game. He said that and didn't shy away from it and try to, you know, sugarcoat it. I mean, when, when you get beat, what, 45 to 7, it's kind of <laughs> hard to do that. Uh, you know, when you look at the statistical numbers and, you know, you didn't put up much of a fight. So, um you know, I, I think coaches, uh, if, if anything, you know, he might be more energized by being around some, some you know, much younger players. Not that the NFL is a little bit young, but you're still dealing with grown men at that level. So I think after five years back in the college game, you know, he, 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 he might be a little more lucid than he was back when he first got, <laughs> when he got to the Bears. Um, and then, of course, Purdue is coming here on Saturday morning, mm. Champagne home opener. Uh I mean, obviously, we you said it yourself. There was not a lot that looked good in that in that Wisconsin game. What are you looking at as like a key to the game that just needs to turn around if this Illinois team has any hope to beat Purdue? You, you got to compete. That's it. I mean, I think across the board, you, you mentioned I mean, you have talent, you have experience, you have uh, an experienced quarterback, you have these receivers, you have. Uh, I know Mike Epstein's had some injuries, but he's still been around a long time. You know, in the back, but you 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 have you have players uh, in the secondary. You have guys that have been there. You, you've got to compete because, I mean, clearly Wisconsin regardless of what they say, wanted some revenge. I mean, they, they saw Illinois celebrating after that last second field goal last year. There had to be some extra incentive uh, uh, to, to really to bring it against Illinois in the opener. I mean, Purdue will be no different. I mean, uh, w- one of the games from last year that stands out to me most, I mean, you, you had the Wisconsin and the Michigan State, but I think going over there to Purdue the week after this emotional win on the last second field goal and this signature win and, 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 you know, unfavorable conditions and taking care of business over there. That 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 win in West Lafayette really stood out to me last year. And, and that 
kind of told me, okay, maybe this program is turning the corner and they're understanding and learning how to win and what you have to do uh, going on the road to do that. Um, but, you know, I mean, Purdue, probably it looks like it's going to have Jeff Brown back. I know he's been dealing with the, the COVID and coronavirus, but that's going to give him a boost. They're coming off a big win in their opener. Uh, I haven't heard anything whether Rondell Moore is going to play, but it would just be like so Illini for him to play. <laughs> you know, just I mean, I mean, you know, we typically can't have nice things. Something just whether it's like we got the best basketball team in 20 years. Oh, we're not going to the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament. It's always there's always that there's something. Okay, we have a curse. But, yeah, yeah. What's that? I said we have a curse. I always tell Josh on our <laughs> Illinois, like Illinois athletics is cursed. That's her. That's her one thing. If you say, I mean, you, you don't want to be like, "Woe is me!" This whole Cubs thing and Cubs curse. But I mean, after a while, you're like, "Come on, yeah. <laughs> really?" Is that? And, and, and you know, but the other receiver, I mean, Moore is. He's an absolute stud, you know, and so I'm sure they're looking at the game film from Wisconsin yeah. and they're looking their chops right, right. now. <laughs> so, so it's a challenge. So at the end of the day, you, you got to compete, you got to accept the challenge. And, you know, you know, Illinois, the Illini, we proved last year that we can play. Mm-hmm. They can play, they belong. Now you have to go out and do it. You know, it's not what you're saying or what's written down, it's what you have to go do. And now you're at home. It's going to be very different. No fans. Um, uh, the weather is supposed to be a little nicer, but, you, but you're at home. You, you're at home, and now you have to, you know, it's, it's two games into the season normally shouldn't be gut check, but it, yeah. based upon the goals you set for yourself, and you only have eight games, uh, nine total possibly, if you know, but you only that it's a short window, and you, this is what you wanted. You wanted to get out there and play, you know, despite all of the risk, because there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of risk because I'll be honest with you. I, I was conflicted. Of course, I want to see uh, Big Ten football. I want to see the Illini play. I want to see all these teams play. But the reality is what it is. I mean, the fact that they went to Wisconsin, the hottest coronavirus hotspot in the country, was a tad bit irresponsible to me. To me, I, I know you got all the protocols, but, you know, I mean, clearly the, the, the COVID and coronavirus have proved that, you know, despite all the intentions that, you know, it, it is a formidable thing to deal with. And either we are in a public health crisis or we're not. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't pick and choose when you want to say, well, we have this. I mean, I, I understand what we all want, but we also have to deal with reality. And when you're dealing with student athletes, if we're going to continue to put student in front of the athlete, not not professional athletes, not but student athlete. Then there are going to be some, you know, a, a more stringent safety protocols and decisions that have to be made because you're not dealing with people who are doing this for a living allegedly. Now, if we want to change that, that's fine. We we can do that. But as as currently stated, they're amateur athletes, which again we we that's a whole other podcast. We can get into that that's later. Yeah, but, but I, I I think that, you know, if you, if, you know, I actually think that student athletes in college have more leverage than they'll ever have right now. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I mean, you saw that with uh, even the We Want to Play stuff and, of course, yes. the summer with um, Black Lives Matter and, and how they were voicing their opinions. It, it feels like that time where student athletes really have realized that they are what people care about uh, who, who watch college athletes. So it was a kind of cool moment um, to see that. But as we're talking about, you know, coronavirus and, and you know, how, how unfortunate Illini circumstances have been. I mean, mm-hmm. we were on campus last year when we thought this team was going to be, you know, uh, maybe a Sweet 16 team in, 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 in basketball. Yeah, in basketball. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah in basketball. Sweet 16 tournament uh, team and – and then it all kind of just happened so fast where there was no Big Ten tournament and there was no NCAA tournament. Um, but you being a manager for one, one of the most iconic Illini teams of all time in the Flying Illini, um, it kind of felt like even my freshman year, like not a lot of people were hyped up about Illini basketball. And then last year that, that really changed. Um, have you seen that culture kind of come back? Because I know Illinois basketball has always been um, – Kind of a staple, uh, at least in, in, especially in Central Illinois. It has, but you know, listen, it, it's been a difficult for the better part of a decade. I mean, reality is, uh, you know, 15 years ago, 
this program was one bounce of a Luther head three away from being a national champion 15 years ago. That's not that long. And, and, and since then, you know, there were still some NCAA teams. I mean, the following year when D came back and James Augustine, I mean, that, that team went back to the tournament, had a pretty good season. I think they lost in the second round to Washington, but then there were some other teams that were competitive and there were players coming in. I think there was a couple of, incidents under Bruce Weber that kind of turned the tide of the program. Probably the biggest being the um, uh, Jamar Smith car accident with Brian Carwell. When that, when that happened, that was a significant uh, situation that affected the team physically and also uh, the, 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 the whole uh, state of the program when, you know, you lose Jamar Smith and he comes back and suspended again, I mean, gets the dismissed from the program again. And, you know, it was just, it was just a kind of a bad um, vibe that was around the program that I think had really exponential effects, uh, you know, because you can go back, I want to say to when uh, Myers Leonard was a freshman, I think he was freshman coming in with like Jeremy Richmond, who was McDowell's All-American. You had Brandon Paul, you had Crandall Head. I mean, you had some really good players. Uh, and, you know, for whatever reason, you know, they just couldn't sustain that success. Of course, you lose Jeremy Richmond. Myers ends up going pro early, which, you know, at the time, you know, you might have said, well, why is he doing it? And he's still playing, you know, you know, almost a decade later. So, you know. Yeah. But, but it's just, I mean, it's just like this domino effect. Then, then you change coaches and John Gross comes in and, you know, you have that first year of success, but then, you know, tend to have this slow decline and, you know, can't, you know, never can get those top recruits that you want. And it's just one thing after another. But I think that with, with uh, Coach Underwood, he certainly um, has the – mentality the 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 foundation that he laid the the first couple years was you know you know getting io to commit to illinois was huge because that was a culture changing commitment that he needed to get that one player uh that you can build around i mean obviously adding the big fella kofi and some different pieces i mean this this recruiting class he has this year is clearly phenomenal i mean you know at least on paper we got to see what they do on the court adam miller's a Big time score. The kid from California, Coleman Hawkins, is, is, is a talent. They added some late pieces. So all of those things are coming together. But let's go back to last year in terms of, you know, th- there was a point that their season was looking very iffy. Yeah. I, I went out to Maryland when they up, were up 15 points and ended up losing the game. And, you know, okay, it happens on the road, but that 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 was a gut blow. And then honestly, the, the loss to Missouri, and then we, you know, the alums, we take that very seriously. You don't want to lose to Missouri. You don't want to lose to Michigan. You don't lose anybody, but certain, you know, rivalries that mean a little bit more Indiana, you know, certainly when you play those teams, but, but you know, to lose that way to Missouri. And, and Coach Underwood has shared, I mean, they kind of had a, like a come to Jesus moment after, after that loss to decide what kind of team and program they were going to be. And, you know, to, to, the, to the team's credit in the locker room, something happened where they came together. Uh, Coach Underwood obviously showed, showed some flexibility in, you know, what, what offense they were going to run and how are they going to play defense and things to do to get I.O. freed up and to kind of, you know, loosen things up on the court and, you know, they, they, they were at a low point there, but then they sort of, you know, figured it out and then started building momentum at the right time when they were able to get, you know, that win over Iowa, which is one of the you know best wins in recent history. Even that I was at that Indiana game on campus. It was, a you know, an, another good atmosphere when they, when they played very well. You could see it just started to click. And, you know, that's what you want your team to, to start ascending at the right time. And I, I truly believe that they would have um, – they would have made some noise in Indianapolis in the Big Ten tournament mm-hmm. and positioned themselves for so for for a top four seed somewhere in the NCAA tournament to put themselves in position to have success. But you know, it's all if we could have, would have, should have. Now, I mean, that, it didn't happen. It, it is. I mean, they they weren't alone. The entire nobody in the country went to the tournament. Nobody was dancing. It didn't happen. Uh, it, it sucks that it happened to Illinois when you finally had you know some hope, some success, that something good was going to happen. But right now, you've got a lot of and, and it, look. We didn't know until a month or two ago that Iowa Kofi were coming back. <laughs> so that changed the whole dynamic. I mean, so that's maybe one of the positive because I, I would tell you, if not for COVID, there's no, in my opinion, there's no way Iowa would be back. Yeah, would have stayed in the draft. If there was a normal uh, draft camp, and he would have been able 
the workout for teams and the draft was back in June instead of October, November, whatever it's going to be, I, I don't think he would be back. And, and I think there's also a decent chance that Kofi wouldn't be back, but we don't know that. I mean, you, you never know because everything changed when, when players couldn't get in front of uh, teams and GMs to work out and there was no, no uh, organized or set uh uh, showcase for these guys to show what they can do and no tournament, but you know what? Here we are now. So uh, I'm excited about, and I'm hoping that the season can come off, can go off safely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know they're talking about a lot of little like mini bubbles and, you know, scheduling and keeping things regional. And, uh, you know, and I hope there is an NCAA tournament because that's my favorite time of the year. I think we've conditioned ourselves through the NBA bottle bubble and these other sports that, you know, we have to look at at sports differently. And, you know, it's just not the same in terms of an event or spectacle. It's about the game, you know, with the piped in crowd noise and the cutouts and all this kind of stuff. But we, I think we've, we've sort of gotten used to it. But I'm hoping that, um, you know, that, that it, it can happen and take place, uh, certainly certainly for these young men, but selfishly for us because, and I think we need to put our own wants and desires at the bottom of the list. I know that's hard for a lot of us because we all want what we want, regardless of how it's going to affect the most important people involved, and that's the athletes. Mm-hmm. I feel like, obviously, the most Illinois thing would be to have Io and Kofi come back this year and then for it to not us to like not have a tournament in the spring again but obviously hoping for that not to happen but I wanted to ask you do you think it's too premature in Underwood's tenure here to think that there's going to be like sustained success recruiting and just like keeping up with this team because obviously if I and Kofi leave next year like we think they're going to and you know this recruiting class isn't looking that good like the one coming in 2021 Mm -hmm. do you think there's sustainability here do you think it's kind of going to be like that a 405 team where they have a couple good years and then it kind of just falls off well I hope not I hope not and I think that um listen um Brad's staff works very hard whether it's Chin uh, you know Coach Coleman Coach O um, I mean, these guys put the work in and, and they've done a great job of finding players who may not be that four star, five star player you've heard of that they can go get and develop talent. I think one of the issues with the previous decade with Illinois basketball is we might have been getting players, but A, we couldn't keep them and two, we couldn't develop them where players getting better as a program. And I think that uh, I think we've seen that with uh, under Coach Underwood and the staff is to develop talent. That's very important to be able to do that. I mean, I, I think one guy who needs really have a bounce back here is Georgie. Yeah. You know, he, he had that sophomore slump. And, and you know, over the years, I mean, look, I, I've seen it for years. People, um, you know, uh, Kendall Gill, who played 15 years in the NBA, was a, you know, a, a top-notch NBA player, one of the most popular, successful players in Illinois history. Well, he really struggled his sophomore year. He really struggled under Coach Henson and, 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 and struggled to stay in the rotation, but he made a commitment uh, after his sophomore year. He said, well, it's just not going to happen. And also he knew Marcus Liberty was coming, who was the number one player in the nation, was sitting out. He was like, you know, and he put the work in that summer and locked himself in the gym and changed his body, changed his game and came back and he was a different player. And I think at the end of the day, you know, it's gotta be on, it's gotta be on the individuals to commit to, to being the best player they can be. And I think you have those kind of guys and they, and, and when you have a lot, the great thing about having a lot of talent, if you have competitors, you push each other. I know it's a different day and age. Now, a lot of recruits don't want to come to a program when there's maybe a guy to at their position. They, they want to be guaranteed minutes, which that's, you know, that's as soft as baby poop to me. I mean, you, if, if, if you want to compete and you want to win, you want to go where the dogs are. You know, you want to go where the best players are and, you know, and let the chips fall where they may. And, and, and um, you know, I, I think they have a group of guys like that now, a good mix of Seniors, I, I really like the fact with this team that you have a, a Trent Frazier and a DeMonte who have been there four years and they've they've grown and elevated and, and, and they bring that senior leadership uh, in, in abundance you're going to have. And you're going to have, and even Georgie is a third-year player, Isles a third-year player uh, that have been on campus, understand, because that's what helps. That's how you keep it going because the players are the one who pass down the culture, not necessarily the coaches. They can establish it, but, but the players, it has to happen 
on the floor and in the locker room and guys that really believe in that. And, and you could see that, you know, that, that, that a guy like Trent who uh, takes pride in being in a line, you know, or DeMonte and these guys that they, it means something to them. And they're going to carry that tradition. I, I think it means something to Iowa. I think it, it does mean something to put on that uniform and represent the University of Illinois and finding line athletics. That's important because, I mean, one thing we've seen over the years, and I, I think Coach Underwood is, is going to be around for a while, but coaches come and go. But the players are the ones who make the program. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we, we haven't had that sustainability of having – I mean, listen, you know, uh, uh, Jim Beheim or Coach K, coaches that have been there 30, 40 years at one school, that'll never happen again. Because it's a – A, that universities aren't going to give coaches that much power <laughs> to do that. I mean, that's just anti to what they wanted to have that one individual having that much power and control. And and just the, the money that's involved and other jobs that open up, I think it's just it's just a different – and the, the job of recruiting is different because, you know, you're dealing with younger players and you're not only recruiting – high school players now, now you have to deal with the transfer portal. And there's so many kids who, you know, after a semester or a year or whatever, they, you know, I, I don't like you, I'm going to jump there. Do I think that athletes should have the same freedom that coaches do? Coaches can leave when they, they can sign a contract, but then they can still leave if they get a better deal somewhere. So, I mean, you know, we can go back and forth on that. That's, again, an, an, another topic for another day. But uh, I, I think that Coach Underwood and the staff have, have laid the foundation or laying the foundation for sustained success. And, you know, uh, I think having a player like Corbello, really good player, yeah. you know, like Coleman Hawkins, he shows a lot of potential that you have some younger players that are, that are in the system and I think could show promise and, and, and be good players. Um, I know we've got some transfers that are, you know, coming in this year that may be that stopgap to get us, you know, if you don't have as good of a recruiting class this year to maybe get us over the hump for next year, you're hoping. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm always one, until I see it on the court, <laughs> you know, th- th- that's when that's when I want to know. And it's it's tough, man. I, you know, I'm no- I normally come down to a lot of practices and I'm on campus for games and just I'm feeling so detached. It's, it's kind of hard uh, to, to get a feel for what this, team is going to be like but uh, um, I'm hoping we'll find out here soon around Thanksgiving so even though it's a little harder to get to get a feel of the team you know you have this true center and Kofi the almost certain NBA guard in Io and a really deep team if we're like you know comparing this a little bit to the most recent really good team in Illinois history in 05 you have a lot of NBA talent there they lost one game in the regular season and yeah. championship do you think that this team can surpass the success of the team? Uh, well, I mean, you can't predict that. I mean, listen, yeah. you know, I know you guys don't remember because you weren't born, but, you know, the, there's only been one team in the last almost 50 years to go undefeated. You know, the last college team to go undefeated in the season? Was it one of Bobby Knight's teams? That's correct. The 1976 Indiana Hoosiers was the last team to go undefeated. So, uh, and that was 1976. So, and you know, so that that's... Uh, almost 35 years ago that that's happened. And I don't, I think that's one of those records in my opinion that will never be broken. So the fact that that Illini team in 0405, just to how special they were, they didn't, they didn't, they lost their first game the last day of the regular season at, at Ohio state on a buzzer beater. So that that's how special they were. They went the entire non-conference and conference season undefeated until the last day of the regular season. And so, the, so basically they lost the last day of the regular season and the last day of the season because the national championship game, there's no more games after that. So that shows you, you know, just what they were able to pull off. So um, I, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't guess any other team would do that. I think it's, I think the parody in college basketball is too great right now. Um, I think, the only way, I, the, the best way I can see that happening is you got to have a team that's been together and has some continuity. So that particular team, I mean, that group came in together as freshmen where there was D, Darren, Roger Powell, uh, James Augustine. Um, uh, no, I think Roger Roger had been there already. He was there a year before, but but they were all, Luther had, Luther was a senior, but they, they, they had been together for three years together that that same nucleus and I you know I remember that that the year before the 05 0405 season uh they lost to Duke in the Sweet 16 and I covered that game in Atlanta and I remember 
just the look on their faces in the locker room. And it reminded me a lot of the flying Illini that they, one, you could feel that they had a bond, that there was, it was a brotherhood. It was more than basketball, but, but, you know, there weren't a lot of tears in there. There was, they were kind of frankly pissed off and said, okay, this isn't going to happen again. We're going to do whatever is necessary, whatever it takes that, that we're not going to be in that disposition next year. And you can see at that moment in that locker room in Atlanta, when they lost to Duke, that they dedicated themselves to being a championship team. So I get back to, again, it's a collective thing in the locker room and in the, uh, on the court. So this is why you have to recruit character guys. You got to recruit leaders. You got to recruit dogs as we call them. You got to recruit some ballers, ball players, because, you know, uh, you, you can do all the coaching and teaching, you know, everything I've been involved with, that's where it happens. And and so when you had a D Brown and a Darren Williams and and you could just see it, they were like, no, we're not going out like that. And, from day one, the next season, you saw it. They, they had a, it was, it was something different and special about them. You know, okay, this, this team's different. And, and they played that way the entire year. And, you know, unfortunately, we get back to Seoul, Illinois. We don't have that national championship to validate it. I mean, I, you know, people still talk about the flying Atlanta as the best team, not just in school history and most popular, but one of the best in college basketball history. But, you know, the ring I got is silver. It doesn't say national champion. It just says final four. Yeah, speaking of that. I mean, and the banner says that. So, you know, I, yeah. I want to see us get in the position to finish the job. Right. Speaking of that, you obviously have a very close relationship to that team, being a manager on that team. Obviously, mm-hmm. you have fortunate news of Lou Henson passing this year. Yeah. Um, just can you speak a little bit about what he meant to you? Um, because I know you, you probably have a closer relationship than a lot of people do. Yeah, you know uh, that 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 was a difficult one uh, for Coach Henson. And uh, as much I was just talking to my parents the other day, they got a they they got a a card from Mrs. Henson. They had sent a a condolence card, and and she had you know in typical Mary Henson fashion had written a long note and letter, taking time out of her day to say you know how much she appreciated uh, you know my relationship with Coach Henson and how it developed. And, you know, when I was a manager and I would oftentimes, you know, drive him on recruiting trips around the state, which my parents didn't even know that. It's like, did, did you even have a driver's license? I said, of course I did. I was college. You know, I just was like, take the keys. Yeah. But uh, coach and I, I mean, listen, I, I was very fortunate that I got the opportunity just to be kind of a background sideline person for, you know, one of the greatest periods of Illinois basketball history. And, you know, Coach Henson allowed me to be a part of that, uh, that that managerial staff. And, you know, I was able to really develop a relationship with him after I left U of I. You know, when I worked in Champaign for a couple, three years, and we just always, you know, kept in touch. And, um, you know, I was just amazed at his, his resilience because for – seems like at least a decade or longer, you know, the, our crew, we had been worried about his health and his future. He kept bouncing back. So uh, it was great. What, the memory I'll always have recently is when we had the flying line at reunion and just how invigorated Coach Henson was to have uh, his players back and that group back together. And you could see at that moment that really gave him a lot of life. So, you know, I think he had reached a point that, you know, whenever it was his time, he was going to be at peace with it because he had had a moment to be back around the guys. Because, you know, as, as a coach, um, you know, Coach Henson wasn't big on, you know, um, you know, Coach. I, could, I mean, he, he's a super nice man. Don't get me wrong, but he was all business when it came to, to basketball. <laughs> and he wasn't really into, you know, being your best friend with players at that time. And he told you what you need to hear, you know, what you, uh, not what you wanted to hear, but what you needed to hear. And and he was kind of, he was hard on those guys. And, but you, you had to respect him. And, uh, you know, to see him turn after guys finished playing for him. And, uh, you know, he definitely always wanted to know how your family was. And he kept in touch with everything in your career and that you were doing. It would, it would amaze me how he would know things that I was doing. And I didn't, you know, again, I was a manager. I wasn't a player, but he felt that way about anybody who came through the program and certainly who played for him. So, uh, you know, it, it was it was a tough loss, but I'm glad we had a chance to celebrate Coach Henson while he had a chance to enjoy it, whether it was Lou Henson Court or whether it was, you know, 
all of the different ceremonies that the, pro, the athletic program had to recognize him. I'm glad that we did all that while he was still around and could really enjoy it and appreciate it. So, uh, you know, there's only going to be one Lou Henson. And uh, I think it'll be, I, I'm hoping this year that the team does something on their uniforms to uh, honor him. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that they will. No, I just, I have, so my, my, uh, my dad was a freshman in 89 and he, he tutored some of the guys on the team. He had, oh, is that right? He tutored Marcus Liberty the next year. I know he had a class with Nick <laughs> Anderson and he just told me like he had like a class with two of them and he said the culture on the team and he's been around so many sports teams. He's a coach is like nothing he'd ever seen before. And right. he said like the, the bond between those guys, you guess they'd been friends their whole entire lives. That's right. So I just hope that if this team, you know, if they have any chance of getting, you know, the ultimate golden national championship, he at least thinks in, in his head, that uh, the bond needs to be at least as good as something he saw between those two guys. And that's like the vibe that he got from being here. No, I think that's, that's accurate. And I think this current group, um, I, you know what, what I saw in the second half of last season is a team that cared about each other. and was playing for each other, not with each other. That's what I saw in the second half of last year. And I have no reason to think that they're not going to build on that and don't knowing what they have an opportunity to do. And, and here's the other thing, you know, when you have something taken away from you, uh, that gets your attention. I mean, they're not kids anymore. They understand when, when the season the, or the opportunity to, to play for a championship and the game was taken away from you. If you're in Iowa's case, you know, your dream, you're trying to get to the league and, you know, this thing you have no control over is taking something away from you, whether it's the opportunity to work out for teams and be drafted or Kofi and, and all of these players. And, and you don't know if you're going to have a season. If that doesn't get your attention, nothing will. And understand nothing's promised. So, listen, you know, th this is a, a learning lesson, a teaching lesson, a chance to mature. And I think they're going to respond the right way, knowing that, hey, you know, you have today. That's what you have. And you, you, you better take care of business and truly play like it's your last time because you really don't know. And, and in this COVID day and age, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Everything keeps changing. And, uh, you know, you know, going back to that 89 team, I mean, we still have a group chat. And, and texts and, you know, uh, Coach Collins, who was uh, an immensely integral part of that program, and he recruited most of the guys. You know, he, he's had some health issues he was dealing with recently, so we've been rallying around him and doing that because, you know, uh, you know, losing Coach Henson was enough, so we <laughs> we yeah. – we don't need anything else this year. Certainly uh, not, not, not with Coach C. So we're going to keep him in our prayers. We want everybody in the Illini Nation to do the same. Uh, you know, Coach Coombs, Coach Nagy. I mean, all of I mean, it, it was truly a family. And I see that same situation. I feel that same thing with this team. And it starts with Brad Underwood. He really does an excellent job. Um, he has done an excellent job and will continue to uh, building the culture. And, I, and I, I've told Coach since I texted him, I, I truly believe he's the guy to get Illinois to that sustained level of success because what we have at Illinois, it's sort of like covering sports in Chicago. It's like these peaks and valleys. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it, look, it's only been four years since the Cubs won the World Series after 100 years, but it feels like it's been a, a decade, but it's only been four years. You know, if you get the Bears and it's just this roller coaster, the Bulls, the same thing. So, you know, we, we, we want to get there to the top and stay there and sustain it. That That's the goal. And I, I also believe that we have the right person leading the athletic department and Josh Whitman to get that done because he's one, you know, if I could be at my line, I had, he is one of us and it means something to him. He's an exceptionally brilliant, smart guy. Uh, again, he's had to navigate this curveball Nobody saw coming in yeah. COVID and the coronavirus. But again, in terms of uh, laying the foundation, providing the support and, and doing everything and giving everything that the coaches and the athletes need to succeed, he's going to do everything in his power to do that. I think you finally have an administration from Dr. Jones that, that really understands and supports that. So all of those things are important to having sustained success. Because if you go back to that decade between Coach Weber and Coach Gross, I mean, we were changing 
not only chancellors, presidents, athletic directors. I mean, it was all, it was constant change. When you, you can't get any stability when you're changing at the top and it trickles down even to the athletic level. And, and that's what, I mean, it was like every other year there was somebody different in charge. I, I think we've reached a level of stability and hopefully we can sustain it. And I think that will certainly translate to the court and to the field. But, you know, first thing at hand, you got to beat Purdue on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> I think the big thing you bring up Josh Whitman, like he has been so just like as a journalist, I feel like he has been so professional and so just like understanding during this whole COVID thing and just everything that's happened the past several months now, just like he's so transparent. Like you can just tell he cares about every individual in the athletic program, not just like your football, your basketball. Like he meets with all these players all the time. He meets with their parents when there's big announcements. And I think that's just like kind of what you brought up. Like it has to start at the highest level. Cause if the leader's right. not there, then like the trickle down effect isn't going to happen. And I think the biggest thing with Whitman that I've noticed is just his support for the student athletes wanting to voice their support for Black Lives Matter, different social movements during this time. And I think that's not, you don't come across that all the time now with, you know, an athletic director who's the biggest part of this program being so open and understanding. And he was even at the Black Lives Matter uh, protest walk that the athletes. So I think Josh Whitman has impressed me and that's, Again, the leadership starts at the highest level, so he's been so impressive. I mean, that, that, that's very significant. Um, I know even with the helmets, the team wore with the black eye and the eye and racism, you know, listen, at, at the collegiate level, again, if it's not professional athletics, they rely on a lot of donors, and a lot of donors have different political views and different perspectives, and, you know, uh, a lot has been thrown out for all of us to digest over the last six, seven months uh, and things that have transpired in the country. But uh, I think for Josh, having a heart for the student athletes and an understanding that, you know, let me meet them where they are. And, you know, I, I was one of you. I was in that locker room and, you know, um, you know, respecting their voice and their thoughts. I mean, I, I think, I don't, you know, how do you do that and shape that and frame that? That's not an easy job. And But he, he took it head on. That's not an easy thing to do in today's social media world. Because listen, yeah. in 88, 89, there was no social media. There wasn't in the 90s. There wasn't, there wasn't this Zoom thing we're doing now. There wasn't this ability to disseminate information at the click of a button. I mean, so it's a very different world that these athletes have grown up in. And uh, I think Josh's willingness to embrace that and to support that uh, speaks volumes. And which is why he's so respected, I think, on uh, within the department, for sure, um, on campus with the athletes, with the coaches, uh, because he's a, he's a smart guy, he's a fair guy, um, and he listens. I mean, he, he, and that's the thing that any, a lot of these young people, they just want to be heard. I think he listens, but he also um, leads. It's not just listening, but yet, you know, he has a plan, too, of what he's trying to do. And, uh, you know, it's a very difficult time to navigate. And I think he's done it about as well as you can do, not knowing what's going to happen from one day or one week to the next. So, um, you know, and, I, and he's also a competitor. So I know how bad he wants to get this get this win on Saturday. <laughs> you know, um, definitely. I think we're all looking forward to that. seeing if they could kind of change their luck of what happened. Uh, um, but I think the last thing we definitely want to talk about, I know you hit on being, you know, within Chicago sports, the peaks and valleys. Mm. I think we kind of saw, as we see the MLB wrapping up right now, um, last two games of the World Series, we, we saw uh, the two Chicago teams, the, the Cubs and the Sox, kind of had different trajectories in, in that, right. you know, the Cubs seemingly entering a valley and, and, and the, the Sox hitting a peak right now. Um what do you think about the future of those two teams? Um, and then what, like, just what did you think about their performance in this, this year that they only had six games and everything was really crazy? Well, I, I think that, um, I think that uh, the White Sox definitely, um, I mean, they, 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 they're on the doorstep of doing some really good things for it, for a good amount of time if they can keep it together, which is indicative of, the Sox front office making the change in the dugout with the manager. Yeah. Um, you know, 
I mean, they, they caught a little criticism of saying that, you know, that we're, we're about family and doing things the right way. I mean, instead of just saying, keep it real, and said, no, we're trying to win. And, but they sent a message, we're trying to win. I don't know who they're going to hire as manager, but the fact that they said, we need somebody to get us to the next level shows that they're serious. And also understanding that, you know, you, you take a look at the Cubs. I mean, they, with that core, they were built, oh, they're going to be in the mix for years to come. Well, it, it's, it's hard to win at any level, certainly at the professional level, and to do it continuously. I mean, the Dodgers, you know, here they are in the World Series for the third time in four years. They, I remember, I mean, I was a freshman in college when Kirk Gibson was doing this and they won, I was 87, 88. That was my sophomore year in college. That was a, an 80, the fall of 88. I was a sophomore at Illinois. So it's been that, you're talking about 32 years since the Dodgers have won it. And this is one of the greatest franchises in the history of all sports, not just baseball. It's hard to do. So I think in, in the Cubs, what you have, um, you know, so it's twofold with the Cubs. You have, they've invested a lot in the on-field product, but they've also invested a lot of money in Wrigleyville and everything. And, you know, they're hurting financially because if you don't have games, you don't have fans, you don't have spectators around with it, that that hurts their bottom line. So it's a lot, you know, and, and not paying these players with Monopoly money, that's real money. <laughs> and everybody wants to count somebody else's money. I mean, Arthur Ricketts, he, got some, uh, yeah, he didn't become rich giving away money. <laughs> you don't become a billionaire by just like, here, just have uh, many more issues and, 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 and serious problems to address than the White Sox do. The White Sox are sitting in a very interviewable position because they got, you know, the, the, their best players outside of Jose Abreu are relatively young. I mean, they've got to address the pitching. One thing that you know, someone with the Sox often reminds me is the fact that one of their top prospects opted out this season, Michael Kopech, didn't pitch. And things might have been different if he had decided to pitch, had been healthy or physically, mentally was in a place to go out and perform. Who knows how things would have turned out. But you, you expect and suspect he'll be back next year. But you, you look around that, that lineup, starting with Tim Anderson, I think, you know, just a, one of the most exciting electrifying players in the game who sets the tone and has kind of given them an identity. Uh, they, they, they've got some, Luis Robert. I mean, they, they, they've got some serious talent. Uh, Aloy Jimenez. I mean, they've got the building blocks in place to do some things. Uh, you know, who's going to lead them in a dugout and, you know, how are they going to go out and get some pitching? And, you know, on the other side of town uh, with the Cubs, it's just, you know, who would have thought that Chris Bryant, who was a rookie of the year, who was MVP in the second year and, two, three, four-time All-Star. Now, you know, folks want to run him out of town. <laughs> I mean, it's just like you don't know if he's there. And it's just like the issue. I mean, but they have some questions they have to answer right now and, and, and to figure out because they've had the same kind of finish now. I guess this is three years in a row where they didn't make the playoffs last year. And two years ago, you lose the division, losing the wild card, but they can't score runs. Right. And so they've got this team constructed. What are you going to do with Schwarber? Is he just let him hit home runs and be a butcher in the outfield? Or yeah. <laughs> You've got to figure out what you want to do and who you're going to be. And, and uh, you know, Theo Epstein basically has a year to do it. So it's going to be very interesting to see what that team looks like next year. But, you know, uh, my, my hope is that by next season, it's back to whatever normal is. Right. It's 162 games and we're not in the NBA bubble and we're not playing, you know, uh, conference-only schedules and football. And, you know, but again, a lot of this is all of it's out of our hands, really. Mm -hmm. So we'll see, we'll see where we are this time next year. So I want to ask you because, you know, with the White Sox, it's, it's pretty simple. You have the heading, add another pitcher, get a manager, you're going to be fine. Like, you're going to be title. You should be. <laughs> you should be. I mean, because because all I'm saying, look at Tampa Bay. It's not always the amount of money you spend. Right. I, I mean, look, look at their payroll <laughs> and where they are. It, it's about the team you put together. You, you, you've got to assemble a team, and that's the part of the, you know, the front office. I mean, just I, I think with the Cubs, they have too many of the same players, uh, you know, on the roster. They all do the same things. Where if you got to get a collection, and sometimes those guys come out of, you know, you got a, a Rosa Raina comes out of nowhere. It's like, where'd this dude come from? And next thing you know, he's putting up ridiculous playoff numbers. So, uh, but I, but you're right to the standpoint of, you know, when you're trying to get to the next level, they know they have to get a manager. I mean, 
Joe Madden came in, as, as much as he's criticized, there's a reason the Cubs had the success they did when he came in starting in 2016 because they were right there and he had he took him to the next level. Was he the long-term answer? Probably not, but he, he did what he was supposed to do. So what I wanted to ask you about the Cubs is, you know, there's a lot of people that have, you know, different opinions on where the team should go. Like I know David Kaplan, he thinks that the Cubs should go into a rebuild. Where me, I think that they could get another pitcher if they're, you know, if the hitters go back to up to what they did a couple of years ago, they could be right back in, you know, <laughs> division contenders, possibly even World Series contenders. Which direction do you think the Cubs are going to head in now? Because that's the tough one, because uh, assuming next year that, even on a limited basis, fans can come back, which, again, yeah. until we get a COVID vaccine, you don't know. I, I don't know that um, if the Cubs went into a full rebuild that they would sell out Wrigley every night or every day. You know, I, I think you got to put a competitive team out there. You know, so and then what pieces do you mean? You're going to have to sign either Chris Bryant or Javi Baez to a long-term deal. It would appear to be that Javi's the guy to, to get that right now. Um, but you got to be willing to give up something to to get something. And, you know, what, what do you do with Rizzo? Do you, do you keep him around as kind of that stable piece like a Jose Abreu on the south side? But but you look at what, you you know, what, what's the return you're going to get. So, um, yes, I, I think if the Cubs were able to pull off something like when they got John Lester to come in, when he was kind of in his prime five years ago, which is hard to believe. It's been five years. He kind of finished that five-year deal. Uh, but something, somebody like that, uh, yeah, I, I think they could be right back in the mix. And I think if they make a few changes, tweaks here or there, because, I mean, at one point, I mean, they, they were leading the major leagues in, in, in wins. Give it a shortened season you know, early on, but then they kind of like bottomed out towards that second half. So, yeah, I think they could. But I would say this, if – we go through another season like this again, where it's, it's, it's shortened and, you know, there's no fans. Then I think you blow it up. I think you have to do it right there. But I, th I think if, if, if it's anything close to normal, I think that you um, kind of take a step back and see. Yeah. I'd be kind of surprised if Schwarber's back next year. Right. You know, you have something new, but you know, maybe you waited a year or two, late to deal them if you were going to do that. So, but I, I, I think they could probably still compete if you made a move here or there. Well, Ryan, I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning um, and being on the podcast, talk about everything we talked about. Um, hopefully it'll be a lot. I could come up with a win on Friday and hopefully we, we get to see a good basketball season. Uh, but for me, for Josh and for Gabby, and obviously for Ryan Baker, uh, this has been a daily line. I sports podcast.